doesn't take much when you look around. So many people. So many wonderful people. So many people with needs, dreams, hurts, hopes, desires. Have you ever thought about what God dreams about? What keeps him up at night? What he desires? God in 1 Timothy paints a picture for us and he tells us what he dreams about. He says he simply desires for all men to be saved. This is what God dreams about, his people. And what if we, as a group of 20-somethings, actually began to care about people the way that he did? What if we cared about their hurts, their needs? What if we tried to bring his people home? What if we made his people our people? What if I made his people my people? What about that video? Good grief, I got goosebumps up here. Guys, welcome to Young Adults. My name is Connor. Um, if you have never met me before, I work with our volunteers, our college outreach, and our new believers. It's an honor for me to get to talk to you tonight. But before we start, do we have any uh, new attendees, any first-timers here tonight? First-timers. Give it up for the first-timers. Nice, nice. We are so glad you're here, and we just want to say welcome. We have a gift for you at the info booth afterwards. If you want to go shake a hand, um, get a gift, we just want to meet you, hear your story. We also have started something called the uh, YA Connect. And basically what it is is right behind the info booth, it's just a chance for some of us that work here or volunteer here to get to know you and get to hear your story as well. So um, as you guys can see, we're starting a new series tonight. Any guesses on what it's called? You're smart, this giant sign in front of me. Dude, how sick is this sign though, for real? It's awesome. I feel like powerful standing behind it. <laughs> no, but we're starting a new series tonight called My People, and as you heard in the video, it's based out of Timothy, Timothy 2.4, and, and it says, God our Savior desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth, and so we are meeting up as a group of young adults, as a, the staff, one of our staff meetings, and Jess came to us, and she's just been like, guys, like, for the meetup, I've really just been like, what does God want? Like, what does God desire? And so she kind of started doing this word study about what God desires, and we can see our um, there's two really big themes in the Bible of what the Bible says God actually desires, and it's his glory and his people. God is extremely passionate about his glory and his people. And so in light of the meetup, where we titled this series My People because we want to get young adults passionate about the things God is passionate about. And so before we get going, let's uh, say a prayer and then we'll dive right in, all right? God, we come before you tonight. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is here. We thank you that you're coming to speak to us tonight. I pray that you use me, put myself aside, and speak through me. I pray that people are challenged tonight, that they're encouraged tonight, and that they know that you love them more than anything in this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so how many people in here have heard of a company called Amway? Anybody heard of Amway? 
All right, so Amway is this company that uh, provides you the opportunity to be a business owner. You are, if you're an entrepreneur, you are a business owner. And what they do is they provide you with mentorship by another business owner. And the idea is, as you are mentored by a business owner, your job is to go out and recruit other entrepreneurs to become business owners as well. And as these entrepreneurs make money, you make money. And then you give some of your cut of their money to your mentor. If it sounds confusing, this video might, might help explain it a little better. So, Phil recruited me to sell these cards, and now I am recruiting you. Who is this guy again? Don't worry about Phil. He drives a Corvette. He's doing just fine. Okay. Calling cards are the wave of the future. These things sell themselves. Who uses calling cards anyway? You know what? That's a nice attitude, Ryan. I'm just helping you invest in your future, my friend. It sounds like a get-rich-quick scheme. Yes. Thank you. You will get rich quick. We all will. Can you lose a lot of money on that other investment, the one from the email? You know what, Toby? When the son of the deposed king of Nigeria emails you directly asking for help, you help. His father ran the freaking country, okay? All right, so raise your hand if you want to get rich. All right. No, um, how is this not a pyramid scheme? All right, let me explain again. <laughs> Phil has recruited me and another guy. Now, we are getting three people each. The more people that get involved, the more people who are investing, the more money we're all going to make. It's not a pyramid scheme. It is a, it's not even a scheme per se. It's. I have to go make a call. But for real, how great is the office? It is my favorite show of all time and it is absolutely hilarious. Michael Scott. Um, all right, anyway, so I, when I first moved to Colorado, I was working a ton of jobs, and one of them was 24-hour fitness. I worked at 24-hour fitness, and I was just folding towels in the front, talking to people, checking people in. And when you do that for a while, you kind of get to see familiar faces, you kind of get to see the same people, and you have conversations with people. And so there's this guy that continually came in, and he was a good dude. We talked about church. He went to church. We talked about Jesus. We just talked about a lot, and so I felt like I know him. I knew him. And uh, he came to me one day, and he's like, hey, man, I feel like we've gotten to know each other a little bit. I'm, I feel like you would be a good fit in my company. Like, you, you look like a good fit in my company, and I'm a business owner. And at that time, I would have done anything to get out of 24 and stop folding towels. And so he kind of talked to me about having, like, one job instead of two or three and how I could have an income to support myself. And I was like, I am there. And so we scheduled a meeting at Panera Bread. And uh, we scheduled a meeting about a week down the road, and we met at Panera, Be uh, Panera Bread, excuse me. We met at Panera Bread, and we sat down, and he told me that his offer for me was Amway. And as soon as he said that, I was like, gosh, man, why did I come here? I'm going to order the most expensive thing because he's paying for it, but that's about the only thing I'm going to get out of this. <laughs> and no lie, this is what he said. He sat me down, and he's like, now, Connor, have you ever heard about Amway? And I don't know why I'm being honest. I lied. I was like, no, I, didn't. I don't know what Amway is. And he said, Amway is a lot like Jesus and the disciples. It's, it's very similar to Christianity. I kid you not. I swear on my life this is what this guy said. 
He's like, Jesus is the mentor to the disciples. And the disciples go out and they do things for Jesus. And Jesus gets, uh, you know, he benefits off that. But then the disciples benefit off of Jesus' mentorship. I swear, as, as sure as I'm standing here, this is what he's saying. And I just kind of like tuned him off in my head. And, and long story short, I, I just ordered the most expensive thing and headed out and really never talked to him again. For real, I never talked to him again. And so you're probably like, what in the world does evangelism and this, this message have anything to do with Amway and pyramid schemes? And, and the thought that I had was when we go to talk to people about Jesus, like, don't we feel awkward about it sometimes? Like, you feel just as awkward as the, the person you're talking to. And I think one of the reasons that we feel this way is because when we're trying to invite somebody to church, or when we're trying to invite somebody to something like the meetup, we feel like we have to make a sale. We feel like we have to talk to them, and in that moment, we have to close a sale. We feel like if we talk to them and they don't kneel down in the middle of the street, repent of their sins, and accept Jesus, we fail. No, but for real. And so we feel like we have to make a sale. And so hopefully tonight we can open the Bible, we can relieve some of this stress, and we can see this amazing process that God has put in place to us. And so the word of the night, the, the title of my message tonight is this, Divine Appointments, Come and See. The title of my message is Divine Appointments, Come and see. And so we're going to take a look at the role God has given us in his sovereign, redemptive story. We're going to take a look at our role. So if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 1. If you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 1. We're going to put it in the screen, but you should bring your Bible anyway, especially if you're sitting next to a cute girl. Get out your Bible, get out your highlighter, get out your journal and act like you're taking notes. <laughs> Highlight that Bible like a pack of Skittles and then ask her out afterwards. <laughs> All right, John chapter 1, starting in verse 43. If you're there, say, go ahead, white boy. Go ahead, boy. All right, John chapter 1, verse 43. Here we go. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went and looked for Nathanael and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached Jesus, he said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me, Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. John is one of my favorite books in the Bible, and I've probably read it a handful of times. And every time I've read it, I've just kind of gleaned over this little section of Scripture. I thought it was just a quick glimpse into Jesus recruiting his boys so that he can start doing miracles and get the mission underway. But this text is actually very rich when it comes to inviting people to Jesus. We see here, we see a couple, we see the first two divine appointments Jesus set up and then Philip set up afterwards. And so... I don't really see myself as a three-point kind of preacher, but honestly, this, this section of Scripture lends itself to three points very well. And so if you're taking notes, the first point I'm going to talk about is right here, right now. Say it with me. Right here, right now. All right, as we're reading over this Scripture, it's very easy to pass over that Jesus was in Galilee when he talked to Philip. 
What does that matter? Most of the time we think it's just kind of giving us a location for, for reference, but it's interesting to me, Jesus was a Galilean. So it's funny to me that they point out that he was in Galilee when he found Philip. He was Galilean. And that area at the time, Palestinian area, was comprised of three major areas. It was Galilee, Samaria, and Judea. It would kind of be like the Springs, Denver, and Summit County. And Jesus was a Galilean. He was from Denver. And so when he went to Galilee, it's kind of saying this, like Jesus drove from Littleton to Lakewood when he was like looking for Philip. He was from Galilee, and so he was just kind of moving around the area he's familiar with. And we just kind of gleam over that, but it's actually pretty impressive because if anybody would want to demonstrate a point when he starts recruiting disciples, it would probably be Jesus. I find it interesting that Jesus starts gathering disciples in his hometown, like where he's from. I think that's kind of refreshing because it gives us something that we can actually do right now. Like Jesus sets up this divine appointment with Philip. Now, what do I mean when I say divine appointment? So often when we think of, when I thought of divine appointment, I thought of that I would be off on vacation in San Francisco somewhere at this like little private coffee shop and I would get my cappuccino and I would turn and hit somebody and it would spill all over us. And as I'm cleaning, as I'm cleaning myself off, I look him in the eyes and say, sir, believe in Jesus. And he gets saved and the whole place gets saved. And that's a divine appointment. But don't we think that? When we hear the word divine, don't we think supernatural, crazy, spiritual, something that could never really happen on our own? But we see when Jesus lays a divine appointment, it starts in his hometown. The greatest opportunities we will ever have to talk to people about Jesus are the people you choose to rub shoulders with every single day. Every single day. And we see here, it says, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee, he found Philip. Now think about this. Jesus is in his hometown. He's walking around. He's probably familiar with the area, so he knows where these people hang out. Like, what does that say about what we should do? If Jesus is our greatest example, and he's recruiting people in his hometown, we need to be aggressive about recruiting people in our hometown. I'm sure every single person here has a friend, has a brother, has a sister, a mom or dad, a loved one that doesn't know Jesus and would love for them to come. But when we think about telling people about Jesus, we think about going off on a mission field or we think about being on vacation or on a plane and having a random conversation. And we see that it starts in Galilee and Jesus was a Galilean. What stops us from going into our school, from going into our work, from going into our job, from sitting around the dinner table and inviting somebody to the meetup? Why don't we attack our hometown the way Jesus attacked his hometown? Jesus, if anybody, could have floated across the Atlantic, he could have gone anywhere he wanted, but he decided to start in the place where he was from, where he was familiar with, the, the region where he's familiar with, Galilee. Why don't we do this? And I hope the second point we can glean from this scripture brings a dose of loving conviction here. Do we have a clear view of who Jesus is? And if we do, is that compelling enough for us to go share? Think about this. Like, let's have an honest moment here. Are you still excited about Jesus? We don't get much insight into the conversation Philip had with Jesus, but we do know something. 
When, when Philip saw Jesus and Jesus, all he said was, come follow me. But there was something so compelling about Jesus that Philip's first response was to go run and tell his friend. And let's look at what he tells his friend. This is a pretty heavy thing that he says here. When he goes and he finds Nathaniel, and this is what he says, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. That is something very heavy for Philip to be saying. Why? Because he's a Jew and he's in a very Jewish culture. What he is saying is everything our ancestors have ever believed, everything the prophets have ever wrote about, all the promises, the one who said to come and establish our kingdom and reign forever, I just talked to him. And what's Nathaniel's response? Okay. Like if somebody came to you and was like, hey, Jesus came back and he's talking, like you'd probably be like, uh, yeah, okay. No. But think, about, but think about what he's saying here. He is making a claim that could honestly put him to death. He can make, he's making a claim that at very minimum would have him ostracized and have him made fun of and extremely socially awkward. We don't see an in-depth conversation where Jesus is breaking down theology to Philip. We don't see Jesus going to him and saying, hey, I'm going to wash away all your sins. Hey, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do that for you. You're never going to die. You're going to have eternal life. You're going to live with me forever. And if, when you do die, you're going to be resurrected. He doesn't say any of that. He says, come follow me. And Philip does. There is something compelling about Jesus. There's something compelling about him. And I want you to honestly take a second and think, am I still excited about Jesus? Am I still excited about what he did for me? Do I have a clear view of who Jesus is? And is that compelling enough for me to go and share? There are magicians in Las Vegas, Penn and Teller. And I'm not too familiar with them, but um, their shows are genu like genuinely marked with, with harsh language for shock effect. And, and apparently they're very good magicians. But one of them, who is, I guess, more the mouthpiece of the duo, his name is Penn Gillette. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but I think his last name is Gillette, Penn Gillette. And he tells a story. He actually put up a YouTube video, and it's, it's very challenging if you're a Christian. But I think it speaks an incredible message. He said that he was signing autographs after a show when he noticed a man standing over to the side of the crowd. The man walked over to him, complimented him on the show, and handed him a Gideon's New Testament. And, and Penn Gillette is an avid atheist, avid atheist. He said, uh, this is the guy talking to Penn, the magician. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of proselytizing or evangelizing here. I promise I'm just a businessman. I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And I want you to see what Penn's response is, Penn the atheist. He said, this is what he says. It was really wonderful. I believe that he knew I was an atheist, but he wasn't defensive. He looked me right in the eye and he was truly complimenting me. It didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind of nice and sane and he looked me in the eye and, and gave me this Bible. And look what this atheist says. He says he doesn't respect people that don't evangelize. Let's take a look. I want you guys to read this and honestly think about it and let like the harshness of his language like kind of hit you in the heart. I don't respect it all. If you believe that there is a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that's not really worth telling them because that would make you socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not evangelize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Dude, 
are we excited about Jesus? Like, do we remember what he pulled us out of? Man, I remember what he pulled me out of. I was a liar. I was a fake. I was a phony. I was drowning in my sin. And for some reason, I've become too Christian to be excited about the message of Jesus. I've become too Christian to think that Jesus is really good enough. I work in a church. My job is to tell people about Jesus. And for some reason, I let my occupation define my evangelism. But if I, if I honestly believe, if we honestly believe people are dying and going to hell and they're going to spend an eternity apart from a God who loves them, and we believe that Jesus saves us from our sin, he gives us a second chance. He's not mad at us, but his message to us is love, forgiveness, grace, not condemnation. How much do we have to hate somebody to not tell them that? And this dude staunchly does not believe that God is real. And he appreciates somebody who believes that Jesus is the only way coming up to him and talking to him about that. Man, that is heavy stuff. That is heavy stuff, but I honestly think if we see Jesus for who he is, if we can get a picture of who Jesus is, if we believe he is who he says he is and can do what he says he can do, we should be going out to everyone and having conversations with everybody about Jesus. Do we believe Jesus is who he says he is? And if we do, is that compelling enough to go tell people about it? If you care for your friend, your mom, your dad, listen, I'm not promising a certain response and you don't have to be aggressive. You don't have to be angry. God's not angry. He's loving. He's kind. Do you believe in Jesus enough? Has he changed you enough that you'll take him at his word? If you believe you're getting eternal salvation, if you believe you've been forgiven of your sin, that should be the greatest news you've ever heard in your life. And that should compel you just like Philip, that should compel you to go tell somebody about it. And like I said, that's a very heavy weight. This, this atheist, Penn Gillette, uses some pretty strong language. He said, Christians got to hate people, not to talk to them about Jesus. But this is what I love about Jesus and his grace and his goodness and his mercy towards us. Salvation isn't our responsibility. Our responsibility is invitation. We're called to create divine appointments. The final point we can glean from this text is this. Your job is not salvation. Your job is to make divine appointments. It's to say, come and see. Verse 45, Philip went to Nathanael and told him, we found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. Come and see. Come and see for yourself. Come and see. Those three words should set you free tonight about talking to people about Jesus. Three words should set you free. This is why we are called to do one thing in God's plan of redemption. Create divine appointments for people to meet Jesus. That's it. There is not one person here who is smart enough to have a conversation to convince somebody 
to accept Jesus. There's not one person here so theologically on point that you can break down anybody else's religious beliefs and convince them that Jesus is your Savior. There's not, so, there's not one single person eloquent enough with their words to speak something that would just woo somebody's heart to Jesus. You cannot do that. But what you can do is create a divine appointment for somebody to come and see Jesus face to face. John 6, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent him draws them. So we need to refocus our job descriptions. We need to refocus our job descriptions. We need to go from, we're not agents of salvation. We are agents of invitation. I'm going to say that again because I know somebody's going to hear me when I say it the next time. You are not an agent of salvation. You are an agent of invitation. Your job is to invite. Your job is to say, come and see. Come and see this person who has wrecked my life and done more for me in one second than I could ever do for myself. You are an agent of invitation. There is one Savior, and that's Jesus Christ. He is the only person that can save. There's the only person that can save. Your job is simple. Hey, come and see. Hey, come and see. Come and see. Ben, you guys can come on up. I really think if we saw Jesus for who he is, we would get passionate about making divine appointments. Come and see. That is our job. That is Philip's reaction to the invitation that Jesus said of, hey, come follow me. Hey, come follow me. What's your job? Come and see. Come and see. You might be thinking, okay, that sounds nice, but... You, you don't know, like, what, like where is that? Like, that, that, that's like an assumption. That's a cute phrase. But where do we see that? And where do we see that having, like, any positive repercussions in the Bible? I'm really glad you asked that. Mark 2, 1 through 12, a paralyzed man is healed because some men dug a hole in somebody's roof and set their friend up with a divine appointment with Jesus. Matthew 9, 1 through 7, Jesus heals a paralyzed man because some people brought them to Jesus. Matthew 9, 18 through 26, a synagogue leader has his daughter brought back to life because he went to Jesus and set up a divine appointment for his daughter. Matthew 9, 32 through 34, a mute and demon-possessed person was set free because somebody brought him to Jesus. Appointment after appointment after appointment after appointment. And I want you to see this. In every single situation, Jesus is the answer and you are the avenue. Come on, guys. Every single situation, Jesus is the answer, and you are the avenue. You are a divine secretary of setting up appointments for people to meet Jesus. And I know the first thought that comes into your mind, because this is the first thought that came into my mind. Okay, that, that's cool. I set up a divine appointment. What if I set up a divine appointment with my friend, and what if on August 6th they come to the meetup? What if on August 6th they come with me and they're there and they eat stuff from the food trucks and they play the games and they get a blanket and they hear a message and what if after the end of the night they walk out the same as they came? This is what I would tell you. I would tell you they're in very good company. The famous Apostle Peter, uh, throughout the narrative of Matthew, throughout the Gospel of Matthew, it says that Peter met Jesus in uh, Matthew chapter 4. He didn't proclaim Jesus as Christ 
until Matthew chapter 16, eight chapters later. You say, okay, what does that mean? I'm about to read to you some of the things Peter experienced with Jesus before he made the proclamation of faith that Jesus is the Christ. Peter was here for every single one of these. He was there for the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. He was there when Jesus healed a man of leprosy in Matthew 8. He was, uh, he was there when Jesus uh, healed a centurion's servant with simply a word in Matthew 8. He was there when Jesus halted a storm by rebuking it and telling it to stop. And just so you believe me, they don't know Jesus is Christ yet. The Bible records that these people say, who is this man that speaks to the waves and speaks to the storm and it listens? He was there when he spoke to the storm. He was there when Jesus restored two demon-possessed people in Matthew 8. He was there when Jesus healed the woman with the issue of blood in Matthew 9. He was there when Jesus raised the dead girl to life in Matthew 9. He experienced tons of teachings from Jesus in parables throughout Matthew 10 through 13. He was there when Jesus fed 5,000 people. In Matthew 14, he was there when Jesus called him to walk out on the water. He walked on the water with Jesus and not yet. He didn't know quite yet. He walked out on the water with Jesus and then he was there again. Jesus fed more people. Jesus liked feeding people. He was there when Jesus fed people again. And then Jesus says, who do people say I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. What is he saying? Hey, miracles, miracles, flesh and blood, miracles. You saw this with your own eyes. Miracles didn't reveal this to you. But what do we see? Appointment after appointment after appointment. Jesus had appointments with Peter. Man, my life is a divine appointment. My parents are sitting right there. My life is a divine appointment. When I was a little kid, my parents would drop me off at my grandma and grandpa's house so they would watch me. And as a little kid, before I even knew what, what they were saying to me, my grandparents would tell me that God loved me, that he had a purpose for me, that he had a plan for me, that there was a calling on my life. And they would sing songs of worship with me. And every time my parents dropped me off at my grandparents' house, it was a divine appointment. Every Sunday morning when I was a little kid, my parents would make me wear khakis and a polo to shirt because our church still had a little bit of a dress code. But every single time they would wake me up and force me to go to church, they would put me in the car and they would drive me to my kids' church. And Pastor Dave Consola would preach a message to me and tell me how much Jesus loved me. Every Sunday was a divine appointment. Every Wednesday, my parents would put me in the car when I'd rather be playing sports or playing video games. And I would go to my youth group and Pastor Keith Fricks would have a message for me. And he would pull me aside and he would talk to me and he would tell me how much Jesus loved me and how he had a plan for me. Every Wednesday night was a divine appointment set up by my parents. And then one day, one day when I was a freshman at VCU in Richmond, Virginia, on the 17th floor of Rhodes Dormitory, I sat in a freezing cold plastic chair with my friend Sam Paul Hamus, and I bowed my head, and I had the divine appointment, and I met Jesus Christ. Appointment after appointment after appointment after appointment. My parents didn't save me. My pastors didn't save me. Sam didn't save me. But what they did was they say, hey, come and see. Hey, come and see. Hey, come and see. I have a divine appointment for you. I scheduled a divine appointment for you. I have a divine appointment for you. And one day I saw him face to face and I've never been the same. Your job is not salvation. You are an agent of invitation. You're called to set up divine appointments. That's your job. And so as the band begins to come up and sing, and they go into a time of worship, 
I want you guys as you stand to think about who you need to schedule a divine appointment for. Who has Jesus put in your neighborhood, in your house, at your school, in your area of friends? Who, who has he put around you? Look in your hometown. Look in your area. Secondly, get, get passionate about Jesus again. That's not supposed to come off condemning. There's so many days where Jesus is just Jesus to me. And how awful is that? Let's see Jesus for who he really is. And let's schedule some divine appointments. So what we're going to do is the band leads in worship. We've got some Sharpies laid out um, by this sign right here. And what we want you to do is when you've thought about a person you would love to invite to the meetup or invite to young adults, we want you to come up and just write their name on, on this marquee right here. What we're going to do as a staff and as young adults until the meetup and even after, we're going to pray for those people because we're going to believe that August 6th is a divine appointment. We're going to believe that August 6th is a divine appointment. And before we start worship, maybe tonight is your divine appointment. Maybe you've come to young adults a hundred times and just nothing clicked, but something about tonight clicked. Your friend loved you enough to bring you here tonight. Maybe God's been after you for a while. Maybe you're like Peter. Maybe you've been to last year's meetup. Maybe you've been to church on Sunday. Maybe you come here on Thursdays, but something about tonight. Jesus is calling you. He's saying, come and see. Come and see that I'm good. Come and see that I love you. Come and see that I forgive you. If you've never accepted the offer that Jesus has, I want to be crystal clear here. Jesus was born of a virgin. He led, he led a sinless life. He died on a cross to take your place. He committed no sin, but he took your sins upon himself. He was buried. He was resurrected in three days, and he now is not dead. He is alive and reigns eternally in heaven, and he's calling your name. If you've never met Jesus and you would like to meet him tonight, could you just shoot up your hand? I want to say a prayer for you. If tonight is your divine appointment and Jesus has been calling, would you please lift your hand? Thank you. Amen. 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 We see those hands. Amen. Come on. Get excited. The Bible says that heaven rejoices when one person comes home. God, we love you so much. We pray that as we begin to worship God, you would lay people on our hearts. God, that you would help us think of people in our inner circles that we can invite and that you would make Jesus so compelling to us that we have to invite them. And God, as we prep to invite our friends to church, as we prep to invite our friends to the meetup, I pray that you would relieve the stress of salvation off our shoulders because that's your job. And you would help us say, hey, come and see, come and see. Come and see. God, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.